This is Live On Purpose Radio, episode 543, 100 Humanitarians, with Heidi Totten. Now is the only time to create and live the life you love. I'm Dr. Paul Jenkins, the positivity psychologist. My job is to connect you to powerful positive psychology principles that immediately upgrade your relationships, business, and mental health. Are you ready? Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. Joining me today is someone who has expanded my life. This is Heidi Totten. Welcome to the show, Heidi. Thank you. It's great to be here. Just as a quick introduction, Heidi is the founder of an organization called 100 Humanitarians. And there's a little bit of a story behind that, too, Heidi. I might have you just share where that's coming from. But um, at the time of the recording of this episode, uh, we're less than a week from returning from Kenya, where I participated with Heidi and her group and my daughter to do some projects among the Maasai people in Kenya. And it was fabulous. Uh, I'll probably say some more about that. But Heidi, welcome to Live on Purpose Radio. And I would love to have you share with us what this 100 humanitarian thing is all about. How did it get started? You've shared this story with me a little bit, and I'd love to have you share that with our listeners today. Okay. Well, um, most things in life are due to peer pressure, right? <laughs> you see somebody <laughs> doing something, your friends talk you into stuff, and and uh, and then you do something crazy. And I had never wanted to go to Africa. So this was not on my bucket list. This was, I, I am highly averse to heat, dust, and bugs, all of which are in abundance on the African continent. Um, but I had some friends years ago that said, oh, you should come with us. And, you know, it's it's an incredible experience. And I'll tell you, what really held me back was a, a condition in my legs called lymphedema that I've had since I was about uh, 15 years old. It's primary mm. lymphedema and it causes swelling like I'm nine months pregnant all the time. And so heat is really a big challenge for it. So for me to overcome the hurdle of the, you know, of that, it was really extreme peer pressure, right? So uh-uh. um, it took me about a year and a half to mentally gear up to go on a trip. And I thought, okay, there's like 50 other countries that I'd rather go to, but I'm going to get this out of the way and you know make them happy and then move on with my life. And so um, I got on a plane in March of 2015. And this was actually interesting. It was two days after I launched my first book. And it was a book about balancing business and homeschool. And so I was all in the hype of that, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and I had hit number one on Amazon in homeschool. Well, if you, if you release a book on a Tuesday in the homeschooling category, you're You're going to be number one. (laughs) (laughs) So, so there, there's definitely some tricks there, but I was, I was coming off of the high of that and I had launched it on my birthday. So this was two days after my birthday, I get on a plane and, and I go to Kenya And it was like three days in, and I was in a church in, in Western Kenya called Eshmuli, like that was the compound. And it was an Anglican church. 
when I had a profound transformational experience where it was like a veil dropped and I knew the people that we were with. I knew the Kenyans that we were with. And, and basically it was, this is it. This is your life. Your life from here on out is going to change dramatically. And, you know, this is, these are your people. And I was like, what? (laughs) Dust bugs and heat. Right. Yeah. Um, And the place that we were staying had no electricity, no water for like three days. I mean, this is just way out of my comfort zone. Now I'm like, ah, Hakuna Matata, whatever, you know, like throw some water over your shoulder. You're good to go. Um, So I got home from that trip and I just had no idea what to do. And, and then in July of 2015, I got out of the shower one day and I heard a voice say, go start a group on Facebook called 100 Humanitarians and I'll let you know why. And I was like in a towel and I said, can I get dressed first? And the voice was like, go do it. So I picked up the phone. I started the Facebook group in a towel and I was like, I don't know why it's called this. Um, And then as, as time went on, little pieces were revealed to me about what this is really all about. And it, the answer came in a form of a question, which was what is the power of 100 people working on any project in the world together to create positive change? So for me, my, wow. my project is Kenya, right? Like my project is this tribe, these people that we're serving, but what is yours? I mean, and where are the 99 people that care about the same thing you care about so that we can create that critical mass, right? Like that mm. movement, and that tipping point. And so it was after I took my first 100 people to Kenya that I really saw the movement and the tipping point, you know, and it was, it's been just an amazing journey and, you know, it's still unfolding obviously. And, and people continue to come and have these transformational experiences. But what I found was that it's really, it created a vehicle for people to have whatever experience they are going to have the same way I had it. Mm. Yeah. And you've gathered more than a hundred people to do this now. Oh yeah. We've taken over 300 people on 30 some odd expeditions over the years. And now multiple people each year uh, run teams and we have family humanitarian expeditions. And so it's really grown beyond just, you know, me taking groups to Kenya. It's, it's really Mm. uh, a much bigger organization now. You know, one of the things I love about your story, Heidi, is that this calling found you. Mm -hmm. It's not like you were going looking for this. In fact, Africa was not even on your list. No. But it found you. And for me to go with you last week and witness the results, the fruits of what what that has led to so far, because you're not done yet. Oh, no. I got lots of work to do. But I remember as as we were arriving at a property that is known as Emparnat, and that comes from your Maasai name, mm-hmm. which is Nemparnat, uh, and it means it's a gathering place. It's a, a place where people are brought together for positive purposes, and this property is beautiful. There's now a, a, a guest home where your volunteers, your team can stay its accommodations and there's now a training center which we spent some time uh putting some sewing machines in there and some of the furniture that were 
we're preparing that place as a work site Mm -hmm. and as a cultural center and as a place of learning. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful. And, and that is only part of the fruit of this, this labor that you've been doing in Kenya. I was just, I was very impressed with that. Well, thank you. And, and there was another thing, I'm just going to throw another thing out there and then let's uh, have a little conversation about it because we went to a ribbon cutting ceremony for a water kiosk. And it seems so simple. You know, as, as a psychologist, I'm thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. And he designed it as a pyramid. And at the bottom of the pyramid are the very basic human needs like safety and air and water and food. And then as you move up the pyramid, it gets higher and higher. Uh, where at the top is self-actualization, right. you know, living your purpose, all that stuff we talk about here in, in Western society a lot. And this water facility um, is the result of many years of projects and, and different uh, ways to bring clean water to these people. I'm going to pause that for just a minute and let you talk about what that brings up for you, because providing water to these people, if you want to educate someone, for example, and they don't have water, yeah, you're going to have some trouble with that. Can you just uh, talk to that a little bit? Yeah, so my background's in family science, and I, I graduated with a degree in family science and um, from BYU. And ironically, temporal welfare in families was the class I ditched the most. (laughs) And, you know, uh, here I am doing exactly that. Um, So what I looked at, when I looked at the projects we could do in Kenya, the biggest thing was I wanted to help families. So many organizations go and they are sponsoring an orphanage or they're sponsoring a school or they're building schools or orphanages, you know, so it's really Mm -hmm. more about the children. And I'm like, I love children, don't get me wrong, but children are in families. And if we're Mm -hmm. not helping the core family with making changes, then you can send a kid off to be educated. But what happens then is that they come back to their family of origin and nothing's changed, right? And we know enough about generational transmission and epigenetics and all of these things to know that what we really need to do is work with both at the same time in both ecosystems, you know, the Mm -hmm. child that's off at school and the family that is supporting that child. And I thought, you know, it's a big black hole to fund schools. It's a big black hole to fund orphanages. It's a big black hole to just simply pay school fees because you're talking about 18 years and then they want to go to college. We've done that. I mean, we do support students in school, but we're also working with their families as well. And so when I was looking at what what are the the basic needs that need to be taken care of in order for these families to thrive and to feel like they can bring themselves above the poverty line? Because mm-hmm. we're largely working with families that are living below the poverty line. Well, that's sustainable food. It's not a handout. We're not giving them food. It's teaching them to grow their own food. It's clean water in the communities so they have access to clean water to grow their own food and also for their own health. It's education and mentoring in skills development, and it's also health and hygiene. So when you take those four pillars, and you know our logo actually has the four leaves on it, 
And each mm-hmm. leaf represents one of those pillars. And it also represents, you know, that we're trying to help them grow their own food. When you take each of those pillars and you implement them in the family, then all of a sudden the family is like, well, we can pay for our kids' school fees because we know how to take care of these other needs. And so, you know, so we've implemented and we've partnered with organizations on solutions that can help the, the each individual family. And we've seen it work. I mean, it's been it and it takes a while, admittedly, but we're in it for the next generation. I mean, this is something where I'm like, it can be what we've created as a model for what any other organization could do in this fight against global poverty. But global poverty ends with self-reliance. It doesn't end with a whole bunch of, you know, food bags being handed out. Right. You said two words earlier that caught my attention. One was handout. Mm-hmm. And um, as, as, as we look at what is really helpful, mm-hmm. um, giving someone a handout, and the other word was black hole. Okay. I guess those are both kind of two words. Mm-hmm. But handout, black hole, uh, sometimes when we get involved in wanting to help people, we think, oh, what do they need? Food. Let's give them food. Mm-hmm. But what if we could give them a way to obtain food in a sustainable fashion? Mm-hmm. Uh, they need water. Well, let's give them water. What if we could give them a water source? a clean water source that they then take responsibility for. I mentioned this ribbon cutting. And one of the things that impressed me the most after the project was done to bring water from a spring 13 kilometers away Mm -hmm. to their village, where now instead of walking down to the river and fighting buffaloes and elephants and hippos to get dirty water to drag back to their families, which was consuming a lot of time and it was very dangerous. Now they've within their village, they can go to the water kiosk and receive clean water within an hour easily. This is life changing. But what, what struck me there, Heidi is some of the, the leaders of that, that small group of that village uh, tribal elders or whoever they were, we're calling people to a level of responsibility. I remember them saying something like, this can only happen as a gift from God. Mm-hmm. And, and now we have a responsibility to take care of this. And if something breaks down, we don't want to wait for our friends in America to come over here and bail us out. Right. I just felt a real ownership there. And it seemed to me like a shift. Because what we've given them is not a commodity or a consumable. It's an asset that can continue to bless their lives as they take responsibility for it. And that, I think, moves the dial. Absolutely. You know, what? one of the conversations that I was having there, um, you know, when we were at the school, we were at Obelette School, and they were talking about Mm. how they were trying to have um, they were trying to sell jewelry, you know, so they were trying to have people in the community or the the families that who had children at the school make uh, star ornaments out of beads and then sell them locally. And I said, but if you do that, you'll have one customer and that's the person that buys the star or a few stars. And then you have to find more customers. 
But what if you had a business model? And I tell people this all the time when I'm coaching them, you know, for MLMs and stuff like that. I'm like, Mm -hmm. you have to have something that is gone in 30 days in order to put people on a monthly, you know, like in order to to have reoccurring customers. And so I said, what if you changed your business model to sell eggs from chickens or vegetables from garden towers or things like that, because then you have repeat business and their faces were just, Oh, now this is <laughs> in the U S we just, no, we just take for granted, right? Like there's just, yeah. you know, when we're learning business or we're, um, you know, I just, it's just something that is part of our education system. It is not part of theirs. So all of these right. kids are being educated to learn Swahili, to learn English, to learn math, to learn all the things that we learn in the U.S. But but then what? Right. And so I look right. at it like, what skills are we teaching them? What stewardship model are we teaching them? What financial literacy are we teaching them? Um, we had a, a one of our communities, they said, they kept saying they wanted to learn literacy. And I was like, okay, you know, great. We'll teach you English. Hello. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. And then finally, I looked at our community director and I said, do they ever talk to anyone do they ever talk to English speakers? This was pretty rural in Kenya. Mm-hmm. You know? Like these aren't people that go. Oh, it's out in the bush. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and so they speak their tribal language. And I said, do they ever see English speakers besides us? And he said, no. And I said, what literacy do they want to learn? And he said, they want to learn how to count their chickens. They want to learn how to count their eggs. And I was like, financial literacy. He said, yeah. Yeah. I said, Oh, okay. That's a totally different thing than trying to teach them English when they'll never speak it to anyone, you know? Right. So sometimes it's really going deep because they, they want to learn everything and they love learning. I mean, they love it, but to, to bring in that stewardship model and say, we will give you this, but we expect this in, in our garden mm-hmm. tower project, we give them garden towers. But then if they want anything else in our program, a water tank, a chicken enterprise for, you know, to start selling eggs, anything else, they have to take care of that garden first. They have to show us that they're going to take care of what we've given them. Otherwise, it ends there. And, you know, that was just something that was really ingrained in me in my major was that stewardship, accountability, you know, like otherwise you are perpetuating poverty with handouts. And I will stand by that. You know, I will stand by that all day long. And I'm like, yes, any donations, anything you donate will just contribute to poverty. Teaching them and requiring stewardship and accountability changes the neural pathways in their brain so that they start to see things differently. And the next generation will be impacted as well. This is why giving them the thing that they need is not as good as giving them a way to obtain the thing that they need mm-hmm. in a sustainable way. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why I signed up to go with your group, Heidi, because you get this and you've you've demonstrated and proven that concept among these Maasai people in Kenya, but the principles apply to anyone. Yes. 
And, uh, you know, you said stewardship. I love that concept. I think as we take good care of what we've got, it puts us in position to receive more. And if we can't take good care of what we've got, we don't have any business receiving more. Absolutely. You know, um, it's actually, it's the person that paid you a hundred thousand Vietnamese dong that taught me that. Uh, his his model was stewardship, you know, like they're savers, spenders, and stewards. And that's what I'm trying mm-hmm. to teach with these families is that, yes, you can save money. Yes, you can spend money. And yes, you can be a steward over what you've been given. And then it increases, right? So yes, using that stewardship model, it's been fascinating to see the changes. There's one, um, you met Vincent when we were in Beaumont. Mm-hmm. And When I met Vincent, he was 15, 16 years old. He was behind in school fees. His mom was working in a field cutting vegetables for a dollar a day. Very, very poor. In fact, when we went to go and visit them, you know, their clothing was disheveled. They were disheveled. Her mother-in-law was yelling at her from across the field because she didn't understand why we were there. It was, there was a lot of mental, mental illness. And yeah. And so um, we started working with their family. We got Vincent into school and then um, started this stewardship model. We called it the business box for families back then. And ultimately, Mercy, his mother, who's a dear friend of mine, she she started selling vegetables. She developed her own kiosk for selling vegetables. And she went from less than a dollar a day to around $100 a month. Now, imagine if your income all of a sudden tripled over an 18-month period because Mm -hmm. you taught the right skills to do it. And you were given the the tools, resources, and mentoring. And that's what I say all the time. We've got to give them tools. We've got to give them resources. And we've got to mentor them. And then Mm -hmm. they decide. And then they have their agency and accountability, and they decide what to do with it. Well, I think it was in uh, 2017. So it was about 18 months after I met Mercy that went to visit her and Nancy, who we went to Nancy's house in Beaumont said, Mercy used to be not right in the head. And now she's right in the head. And I didn't really know what she was talking about until I realized depression, that she had, she was in depression and this had lifted her out of depression. And that was so huge for me because I thought this, this, helps with mental health in these, yes, you know, like just, it gives them hope. And, and so, and now, you know, Vincent's in college, he ran our garden team for a long time. Um, his mom is on the sewing team. She sews garden towers. She, she told me, she's like, you never need to help me with school fees again, because I know how to create it now. Her other children have graduated from high school. And I'm like, all we did was give her gardens, chickens, a goat, and a cow, and taught her how to use it. When you mentioned mental health, obviously, Heidi, now we're getting into my wheelhouse. Yeah. Because as a professional psychologist, one thing that I have learned is that you have to produce more than you consume. Mm -hmm. Now, this is obvious when it comes to economics and financial well-being, because if you If you consume more than you produce, you suck. You suck resources. It takes more to sustain you than you're creating. But there's there's a mental impact to this. 
And I call this happy-nomics. I've got a whole model for it that's in my next book. Um, but it, it has to do with seeing yourself producing. Mm-hmm. And when you produce more than you consume, there's an abundance. Mm-hmm. And and it's so interesting to me that that is really a key to mental health. Yeah. And and that's what you're describing here with with Vincent and his family um as his mother found a way to start producing and she fired you from paying her school fees for her kids. Woo-hoo! That's what we want. Which yeah. is is a real sign of success. That is not a black hole like you were referring to earlier. Mm-hmm. That's that's a little beam of light. And then that starts to shine out to other people as well. Yeah. And it's it's ironic because you know, Africa is being targeted by all of these other countries for their natural resources, mm. where the people who live on the land don't know how to use them. You know, like they right. I've had people say, Well, why, you know, they've got so much land. Why don't you just teach them to do in-ground gardening? And I said, well, they don't have shovels. They don't have hoes. They don't have garden gloves. They don't have machinery. You know, they don't have the resources to till the ground that is so fertile. So, you know, when they put it in a garden tower and it's accessible and it's inexpensive and it takes less water and all of that, then suddenly everything shifts because the foundation is there for them. The soil is right. fertile but they didn't know how to use it in the right way that that right. we produce. So, yeah, I mean, we've just seen so many families transformed and you know, we've worked now with over 4,000 families in Kenya in 10 different communities and we've seen successes and we've seen failures and you know, I mean, sometimes it rains and you can't get to locations and you know, yeah. there's so many there's so many components to to this work, but you know, as I told you, your team is part of a larger plan, right? A larger tapestry. Right. And they're, they're all threads in this tapestry that is building to what does this get to look like in the future for all of mm-hmm. these families? And how are they going to pay it forward? Because that's what we're seeing is that it is dramatically changing their community when all these people are taking responsibility and and learning the skills that they need in order to produce. So it's, you know, it's really, I don't know how I know how to do this. That's the big (laughs) thing, right? Is that I just look at this, like, how, how has this come to me? Well, it's because I've done my own work, right? I've done, I I mean, I majored in family science. I a business coach. I I do all of these things and I've done my own work and my own personal development and continue to do it. And then in Kenya, you know, literally every time I go there, it's two years of personal growth in in like 10 days, mm-hmm. right? Because there's an accelerated process when you see a, a totally different situation and you see those families working to get out of poverty. And then suddenly you're like, well, what do I need to do to get out of that mental poverty that I placed on myself because I'm certainly not physically in poverty? You know, right. So, so it's there's and and you know, mm. I mean, ultimately, what I realized was the people that I take to Kenya really do need Kenya more than Kenya needs us. I mean, they've existed. My, I mean, 
Armageddon happens, my money's on the Maasai. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be fine. (laughs) They've existed for, you know, hundreds of years in their current state where we're the ones that are like, well, what do I do if I can't plug in my cell phone or whatever? The power's Um, out. Yeah. And so, so as I saw the transformation, not only of the families in Kenya, but it was the people that came with me. It was their transformation that interested me more because I saw them go back into their communities and their families and make changes. And so many people have said to me, I'm a better mom. I'm a better dad. I'm a better wife. I'm a better husband. I'm a better person because I experienced this different culture. And that, so it's, it's both sides. It's not, Hey, we're going to go over and we're going to change Kenya. It's no, you're going to go over and change yourself. And you're going to have a a really huge connection with these people. And you're going to see love like you've never seen. And you're going to feel God like you've never felt before. And you're going to come back a different person, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's really both sides. I'm interested in, in the experience that both, both, Kenyans and Americans have on these expeditions. It it is really a testament to the power of sharing our experiences. There's obviously things that we can help them with. There is obviously a lot that they can help us with. Mm -hmm. And that exchange is rich and it's abundant. And, uh, Heidi, you're doing a nice job with this, and I'm glad you listened to the little voice. <laughs> Maybe it was a little larger than a little voice, but um, there's, that's one of the things that I got from this conversation. You know, pay attention to whatever the whisperings are in your head, because there's a reason why uh, you're thinking what you're thinking or you're feeling prompted to do what you're feeling prompted to do. And as we do that, it literally changes lives and transforms families and just so many neat things happening there. Heidi, well, thank you. You. Paul, you know, the, the biggest thing that I learned in all of this, and when people say to me, well, you found your purpose. And mm-hmm. I just smile and I'm like, here's the thing about purpose. Your purpose is you. Every for every single individual person, your purpose is you and becoming the best you. And you choose these different vehicles in order to make that happen. Kenya chose me, or I chose Kenya, however you want to look at it. Some people might choose into Kenya, some people might go to Guatemala, some people might go to New York. You know, I mean, there's need all around, right? But your purpose is what is it, what tools, resources, and mentoring do you need? in order to be your best you. And so when people say, oh, we're finding our purpose, I'm like, your purpose is right here. It is you. It's you. It's you. So go choose the experience. Don't find your purpose. Find the experiences that make you the best you. That's your purpose. Right. Heidi, this has been fun. It was fun to spend a week with you in Kenya. And... Uh, the things that it's got me thinking about, I know are going to make me a better me. And, and I can step up and fulfill my purposes better because I, I was able to experience that. Um, (laughs) And it doesn't have to be Kenya, you guys, but if you, do you want to go to Kenya? Um, If you want to go to Kenya, go with Heidi. Okay. 
that's my opinion. Go to 100, the, the number 100 humanitarians.org. And you will see there everything that Heidi Totten and her team at 100 Humanitarians is doing. Um, there's stories there, inspiring stories of the people whose lives are being transformed through this experience. And if you feel to jump on an excursion with them, you have Dr. Paul's endorsement to do that. Yay. <laughs> yeah, we love taking people where, you know, we're gearing up for 2024. And, um, and you know, it's it's fun because you get to stay in an exclusive guest house that we built for these purposes. Our team is, you know, all gathered around the living room watching or, you know, doing stupid human tricks with Paul, or we're playing games <laughs> at the dining room table, or we're, you know, outside jumping with the Maasai. I mean, it really is. It's a connection experience. It really yes. is. And so, you know, if that's something that you're looking for in your life, absolutely join in. You know, it's um, wheels up. Let's get in the Jeep and go. <laughs> so, Well, and let yeah. me let me just add one more little plug for that. It's not that I'm trying to sell people on excursions, but if you can have a transformational life experience, I think you should travel any distance and pay whatever cost is necessary to do that because it lifts you to a higher level. And when you go with 100 humanitarians, you get opportunities to serve. You get cultural immersion. You will see things that you never even thought you didn't you didn't know about. Mm -hmm. And you get a safari experience because the one thing we didn't even mention, Heidi, is that the Maasai yeah. Mara is the number one safari destination on the planet. Yeah. And I think the only animal I didn't see was a kangaroo because they're on a different continent. They're on it. And it may be a tiger. <laughs> and tigers and panda bears, you know, but everything that is African, you're going to see. You're going to see. When you go. And that's just, yeah. a, that, to me, that's a bonus. Mm -hmm. But it's it's also part of that transformational life experience because things that you have only heard about or seen on TV or whatever, uh, you get up close and personal when you, when you have feet down on the couch. Yeah, sure. amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you, Heidi, for You're joining so us welcome. on Purpose Radio. You guys, you've heard it. It's time to go do it. Let's all live on purpose. Did you get what you came for? Give yourself the gift of taking real action on what you realized today. Please share this episode with someone you know would value it. And leave us a rating, too. It's time now to live on purpose. <laughs>